That's my husband, um, Daryl. He, he and I together passed through this church. I feel like this podium got high, higher. Oh, I normally have heels on. That's, I was like, wow, it grew. But no, I don't have heels on today. <laughs> I normally have higher shoes. I was like, what's going on? Uh, so we... I actually feel like I'm doing something wrong without my mask on. I'm like, hmm, I feel like I'm doing, I'm breaking a rule, but I'm not. Um, so he and I pastor this church together, and this morning, I will be bringing the word to you. Um, so, yeah, if you're new to Hilltop, we actually are a fan of women in ministry, women to lead, and, you know, obviously we're doing it together, and there's joint submission and love and honor, and... He's the man, right? He is the man. Um, But thankfully, my husband honors women, and he thinks they have valuable things to say. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) I married a confident one. All right, I'm kind of arranging all of these little things. Um, We're going to, this series, I know what the series is. What series are we in right now? I do know this. Uh, Oh. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's the title of my message, Messages to the Church. I actually forget the series because I actually tried to actually have mine complement the series somehow. So I guess we'll see. I don't actually remember what the series is now. Isn't that terrible? Um, This is what we're going to do today. I'm going to pray for the grace of God (laughs) to uh, very quickly and simply do a a, a review of Revelations 2 and 3 with you guys. And can I just tell you right now, there is so much content. It's the, it's the letters to the seven churches. Every single letter is so full of ways that we can learn about who God is. Because in every single letter, there is like a declaration of when Jesus is speaking, he's saying, this is who I am and this is who I am to you. So you could take time and just go through uh, the seven letters to the seven churches and gain a greater revelation of who Jesus is because he's declaring of himself. So if you're kind of like, I don't really know Jesus, I don't know how to grow in my knowledge of him, just try taking a gander through Revelations 2 through 3 because Jesus is declaring of himself, this is who I am. It's, It's powerful. But this is what I'm going to say to you this morning. We could literally spend one Sunday on each of the seven churches, (laughs) like right down to the fact that what Jesus is saying to them is so intimately personal. It has a lot to do um, with their geographic location. It has a lot to do with like the industry that they're known for. It has a lot to do with the culture in that area. There's just intimate details. And so for today, we actually don't have time And we're not going to get into all of that. And so for your own fulfillment and growth, it would be good for you to take that time. But what we're going to do today, and this would be the purpose of us going very quickly over the seven churches, is we're going to take some time to look at the seven churches and to understand what does Jesus value? Because can I just tell you, all of us as people, we have preferences, right? And I'll just be really candid. As a pastor, I'm forever having to like take people's opinions and say, is this like their preference or is this like God speaking? Or because we all have preferences, right? You, You like a certain color. So if you don't like red, you probably hate our backdrop here. But that doesn't mean Jesus hates it, 
right? <laughs> we, we have preferences. Some of us want like a really warm, cozy, fluffy, soft pastor. Others of us want like a fire and brimstone. And, you know, those are preferences. They're, they're, they're things we prefer. And now oftentimes, I'm going to say to you, in our Western culture, and even if you, if you look at this book of Revelations, what Jesus has to say that he wants in his church we have a heck of a lot of teaching and doctrine being taught in our churches that actually either Jesus didn't care about or he did not emphasize or he did not make it of importance. So I want to encourage all of you, as with myself, as I'm using the seven churches to even do that for me with Hilltop, when I get a little, like, a little antsy of like, we're not, and I wish, and I would like it better, you know, I get that little like, like, you know, I, then I have to look and say, what does Jesus value? What does Jesus say is of importance? Because that is what I'm going to make the primary issue. That is what I'll emphasize. And I, I want to encourage you here today. We've probably all had this experience as well. There's churches that we kind of like don't prefer or we may even uh, find ourselves being critical of. Or, or can I just remind you this morning that a lot of those things are probably your opinions. And they likely are not the opinion of Jesus about that place. And so I want to encourage you as you navigate the days ahead, because you might be like, well, these were seven letters to seven churches. Those were to them. What do they have to do with me? They have everything to do with you. First and foremost, the book of Revelations is written as a revelation of Jesus Christ, but it is to prepare you, church, for the end times. It's to say, this is what you need for, and this is what Christ is looking for in the end time church. So these letters are written here for all of us to learn and grow and say, what does Jesus value? What, what is he looking for in my life as, as an individual? What is it that he values corporately? And then we can align our lives according to that purpose. So this is so important because I'm going to work really hard not to get stuck in the weeds today. But this is what I want you guys to understand. In every single one of these seven churches, it begins with a revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus declaring, this is who I am. It's an aspect of his nature or his character. He goes on to affirm, to say, this is what I see. You've done this well. I'm going to say this. This is actually terrifying. How many, oh, there's one church he doesn't affirm anything. Ooh, oh, my gosh. So, like, that lets you know it's completely out of nature. Because everybody else that was going to get a correction, first they got a, you're doing this so good. You, this part, you're doing really good. But even that, it lets you know he's looking at that. And he's saying, that's what I want to see. I value that so terrifying to be the church <laughs> that Jesus couldn't give any affirmation to. Oh my gosh. So, so he gives the affirmation. Then he gives the correction. And he says, but this right here, I have a problem with. And it goes so far to say, it's not just like he kind of doesn't like it. It's like, uh, you better correct it or I'm taking your lampstand from you. Whoa! <laughs> like, I, I understand we all really love the, 
the grace and the mercy of Jesus. And I, I know that in uh, our, our Western culture, we love that I repented when I got saved and I never have to repent again because I'm in right standing. I don't know, all seven of these churches, he was looking at them and then saying, and repent of this. Because this is what we need to understand is at salvation, your sins are forgiven and now you're in right standing with God. It's the finished work of the cross. You are now a son. You are now a daughter. You are now a saint. That is salvation. It does not mean that you've come to full maturity, full health, and that there is not more growth that Christ desires for you. So this is what we find. So this is what we find in the book of Revelations. And this is, I, this is why I want you to understand what's being said to all of these churches. Because then there's two churches that actually don't have any correction. He's praising them and he doesn't correct them. How marvelous are you? Wow. Like fancy. You got all the praise, no correction. He did give them instruction though. And basically said, make sure you hold on and hold fast to what you have so that you will be able to stand. He gave instruction, but this is what I want to say, and I want you to get this in your heart. I want you to have this perspective and this understanding of Jesus even for your own life. Regardless of the rebuke, even the church that he said nothing good to, that he didn't affirm them, he still gave them a promise. He still said, repent and return. And, and then he went so far. So in every single one of these seven letters, you see him give a promise to these people. How astounding is that? See, oftentimes we look at correction and we think, I've been corrected or the Lord rebuked me or I know I'm in er error in this way. And then we begin to feel hopeless and helpless and I'm beyond and, you know, God's judgment and all of those things. What you see in the book of Revelations is truly the manifestation of whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Can somebody say, thank you, Jesus, for not leaving me alone? Some of you are forever wanting the Holy Spirit just to leave you alone. You do not want that, friend. You need to even take a heart posture today of saying, Holy Spirit, don't leave me alone. Don't leave me to myself. Don't leave me in my current condition. Don't leave me lukewarm. I do not want your hand to be far from me. But God, we ask for the weightiness of your presence upon us as people. God, we ask, Lord, that we as Hilltop, that we would love the chastening of the Lord, that we would love the conviction of your Holy Spirit, that we would love your correction, and that we would receive it as love. Lord, that we would receive it, Lord, that we are children whom you love. And God, I thank you, Father, even today, Lord, as we're discussing this, I thank you that each of the seven churches you gave a promise to them. God, I thank you, Father, that there is none of us that is too far gone. There's none of us that have messed it up too far that you, that you look at with condemnation or with accusation. Lord, even right now, together as a community, we silence the accuser of the brethren. Lord, we acknowledge that accusation comes from the enemy to destroy and to divide. But God, we thank you, Father, that each one of these churches, you spoke a word of life 
and you spoke a word of promise. So God, we thank you today that you're a God of redemption. You're the redeemer. You're the restorer. Amen. Okay, so why don't you turn with me to Revelations chapter 2. And, you know, this is what I want to encourage us as a community is first and foremost, this is an individual message that each one of us should take it to heart personally, and it's corporately. But you know what's interesting that you'll find, and I'm not going to take time with every single one of these churches, but what you'll actually find is he gives like a, a correction sometimes, and then he says, well, and there are some among you, like meaning in the midst of kind of this, there are some among you that have been faithful, or there are some among you. So I just want to encourage us as a community to take even that individual posture of instead of standing in accusation or criticism or judgment of other people or other communities or churches, that we would say that we want this to be manifest and displayed in our individual lives. So uh, Revelations chapter 2 is actually where we're going to start. This is probably one of the most, I would say, commonly referred to churches that people are familiar with. This is the the church of Ephesus. So Revelations chapter 2, and I'm actually going to pick up in verse 2, and it says, I know your works. He actually starts every letter this way. I know your works. Isn't that powerful? Because some some of us could hear that and think, oh, that's scary. (laughs) Like, I know your works. But I actually think it's it's a different tone that Jesus has here. Because even as you see, it's actually what he opens to like celebrate their their good um, persevering qualities. And it's saying, you're seen by me. I see your labor. I see, because let's be honest, there's a lot of areas in our life that we have very small, mundane places of obedience that nobody else sees, that nobody else celebrates, that nobody else praises. But isn't that amazing to know that Jesus sees the very details, the places where we, we honor him when it's costly, that we obey him when it's not convenient, that even when it's difficult, we continue and we keep going. And he says, I know your works. I see your works. And it goes on to say, um, you labor. You're, oh, sorry, you guys all know my eyes and the glare. It's always a joy. Uh, your, Your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. That doesn't really fit in the Western (laughs) culture church, does it? Like that's not the Jesus that we know. Whoops. Um, And you have, sorry, really bad glare. And that you have tested those who say that they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my namesake and have not become weary. Verse 4. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. So he's giving the first charge to the first church here. And he's basically saying, you've persevered, you've been faithful, I've seen your good works. Like, this is amazing. But this is the root of the problem here. You've left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. We could literally take 
all day on this in this alone. And there's a lot of other important aspects of the seven churches. But I'm going to tell you this. I think ultimately, when we kind of summarize these seven churches, what we're going to find is it kind of comes back to this place of loving him first and devotion to him. Because the others of the seven churches, ultimately what this boils down to is issues of idolatry and immorality in the other churches. But aren't those issues of love themselves? of leaving our first love. And you know, this passage, it makes me kind of emotional because I I just have to confess to you, on a practical note, I'm like not an awesome pastor because in my mind, things are like so simple. Like so simple, like I don't wanna have to convince people why they need to read the word or why we need to pray. It's all, it always goes back to, if we as a community love him first, doesn't, everything else come out of that place. And I know for me, I'd like to think, of course I love him first. Duh, I'm a pastor. No, no, no. It's in the daily translation of our lives. Do we love and do we value him? So this, this would be the question to us. How do our daily lives reveal our love for him? Not gathering here on a Sunday, not doing the visible outward. How do our daily lives reveal that we treasure him and we love him first? That we value him above all else. So you know what's amazing is this, this uh, first of the seven churches is addressing this issue of love, of leaving your first love and calling. And so most theologians, and I would agree, they agree that it's leaving our first love, which is Christ. But then there's many theologians that say, it is that, yes, it's that, but it's not exclusively that. There's many theologians that say that when you study this out, it actually is leaving, when it says your first love, it could be translated the love that you had at first for others. That at one point in time, this church, they loved each other. Not only did they love each other, they loved the lost. They were in it for the people. They were in it for others. And then as their love grew cold for the Lord, all of a sudden they've lost their love for one another. And they've lost their love for others. I'm going to tell you something. If you find someone that's easily offended and cranky and critical, it's probably because they've left their first love. If you find someone that has a constant rub in relationships and can't get over their offense, guess what? They've put themselves and their emotions, their priorities, and their hurt above loving Christ first, which means then I love you as well. Because if I love Christ, I have to love his church. And if I find myself struggling to love you, I have to ask Christ to do a work in my heart, not to change you, not to make you more like I want you to be. Do you realize nine times out of 10, the breakdown in church relationships is you want someone to be something for you. You're demanding someone be like you. I want you to follow Christ like I think you should follow Christ. I want you to display it. I want your personality. This is what speaks love to me. This is how I translate love. This is how I, how about it's not all about you. It's about there's a man, Christ Jesus. And when you begin loving him first, 
you grow in your capacity and your ability to love others. All of a sudden, you are no longer central place. All of a sudden, no, it's no longer about the idol of you. Like I said, several of these churches, the issue is idolatry. For us in the West, you know, many people are like, I don't feel like, I, you know, I don't have any statues or graven images in my house. No, you just have the idol of you. That's what you have. Your central, your needs, your desires, your priorities, your interpretation of scripture. Instead of humbling ourselves and being changed, that, I'm going to tell you, friends, that is the Christian walk, is forever being transformed into his image and likeness. And if you're forever demanding other people be transformed or other people accommodate you, it's very likely you're not the one being transformed. So can we as Hilltop Church, first and foremost, look at the book of Revelations, this first letter, and say, above all else, we're going to make it the priority to be a people that love you first. That we would grow and cultivate first love for Christ. That nothing else would be the priority of this family. But that we would grow in loving, desire, and treasuring the man Christ Jesus. And in addition to that, growing in our love for one another. And how many of you guys know... When we grow in our love for Jesus, we begin to gain his perspective and his heart. And guess what? His heart is all about the lost. I mean, he loves that we're here today. We, he loves that we've all received truth. We've all come into the family of God. But do you guys know that the city of Cambridge is filled with people that not only do they not know Jesus, they've never even been introduced to Jesus. I know most of us would like to think that because we're here, right here in the Dante, and there's several churches throughout the city, that if someone was interested in faith, they would just find their way. They just, just get there. They just get there. Do you know that that's not how it works? That there's many people in the city of Cambridge alone that are here from other nations where the name of Jesus has never been preached or declared. Do you know that there's many, I, I, I'm always even astounded, even in our small community of people when I'm like, do you have a relationship with Jesus? And the question is like, Jesus, <laughs> you know, like kind of like what? That some of us take for granted how familiar we are with the name of Jesus in the gospel, but that there's many that have not been introduced. Do we have a clock somewhere? Oh no. Oh no, we're only on the first church. We're in trouble. Okay. Okay. You guys got it? Be a loving church. Love Jesus and love each other. That's the instruction. Okay, the second church that we find is Smyrna. Um, <clears throat> let's do a very quick recap. Um, in verse 9, so we're in chapter 2, verse 9. I know your works. He says it again. I see you, Smyrna. That's awesome. I love that. Um, I know your works, tribulation, and poverty. It says poverty, but then it says, but you are rich. Oh, how about in the Western culture, we all think that if you're favored of God, you're rich, right? We all think that the favor of God means prosperity and big things and shiny things. 
things and more and more and increase. Increase. That's like our big, like, if you've got God, you've got increase. Everything's going to increase everywhere. Well, <laughs> it's not exactly what we find here. With Smyrna, we find they were poor. Can, can I just back the bus up? Smyrna is the church that Jesus had no correction for. So, so hear me, hear me. If, if we were the ones addressing Smyrna, you're like, Smyrna, your lack of faith has made you poor. You need more faith, Smyrna. Why are you struggling in such poverty? No, you want to know what it is? They didn't buy into the culture. They didn't buy into the system that they lived in, and it affected them economically. They suffered economically because of their allegiance to Jesus Christ. And so some of you are like, what does that have to do with me? What well, has everything to do with you? <laughs> do you know that it says in the last days that with the mark of the beast, that will be how we buy and sell? Mm? Do you know that that means that you'll be affected in buying and selling? You'll be affected in what you can acquire. You'll be affected in your pleasure, in your leisure, in your abundance. If you stand in allegiance to the man, Jesus Christ. And guess what? He's praising them. He's not despising them. He's not saying, Smyrna, you should really learn to walk a more balanced line. Smyrna, you should really have one, world there, one foot there and one foot there so you can be more balanced. And if you weren't so poor, maybe you'd have more influence. Instead, he's telling them, I'm going to summarize because we're running short on time. You can look at it. <laughs> He's telling them to prepare for persecution and martyrdom. That's what he's saying. He's saying you're poor right now. But guess what? There's greater persecution and martyrdom coming. That's his instruction to them. That's his, his word of advice to them. Is to prepare to suffer and to hold fast. That doesn't sound very uplifting now, does it? Can I say something to you? There's one of two things that happen. One of two things, and this is what we find in Smyrna. One of two things are our situation as churches and as people. Either, if we're not experiencing persecution, it's either that the kingdom of God has so influenced culture that the church and the message of the gospel is not offensive or um, difficult or even bringing hardship. So that's one, is that culture has been so affected by the kingdom that it's almost like there's unison and there's unity in one accord. Or the opposite is true. The church has been so affected by culture that we don't actually reflect the value system of heaven, so therefore we fit in just fine. And this is what we find in the church of Smyrna. They weren't fitting in just fine. And so because they weren't fitting in, it cost them economically. And he was saying to them, this was his, his, his challenge to them, is you will be a suffering church. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. And then let's go to the third church, which is Pergamos. <clears throat> And then once again, we actually see, so this is chapter 2, verse 13. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. That's pretty heavy. He's basically empathizing with them and saying, you got it rough. <laughs> like, you have it rough, Pergamus. Like, you're there in the center of Satan's throne. And you hold fast to my name 
and you did not deny my faith, even in the days which Antipas and my, sorry, I have a glare, and my, faith, oh, my faithful martyr who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have few things against you. So here we go, Jesus. Jesus is saying, I've got a few things against you. So he's, it's amazing because he's saying, you did not deny my name, that even in the face of martyrdom, that one of their faithful were martyred, they did not waver. That's a lot to praise, right? That's extraordinary. We'd all be patting ourselves on the back, wouldn't we? But Jesus does say, I have a couple things to point out here. <laughs> a couple points of correction. Verse 14. Because you have those, um, oh, okay, so this is, you hold the doctrine of Balaam, or depending on how you pronounce it, Balaam or ba- Balaam, um, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Thus, you also have those who hold the doctrine of Nicolaitan, which, which thing I hate. Okay, so then it goes on and repent or else I will come to you. And it's again, so these are two doctrines. I'm going to spare you all the details today. But in short, these doctrines were allowed for people to come into idolatry and immorality. And instead of confronting idolatry and immorality, it made them comfortable in their sin. And where it's talking about Balaam or Balaam, basically what happened was is this prophet went to the Moab king and basically said, I know you want to defeat Israel. I know you want to bring them into captivity. You don't even have to fight against them. I know how they will be defeated. We need to teach them that they can live lives of immorality and idolatry and God himself will oppose them and judge them and defeat them and you don't even have to. And this was his doctrine to bring, and in short and in summary, a word that could condense this is compromise. That instead of holding to the purity of the doctrine of the word of God, it's areas of compromise, of compromising with idolatry and immorality. And then, so that's three, right? We're on church three. What time are we? Okay. I'm going to do 10 minutes. (laughs) The remaining churches. Um... So his instruction to them is um, that a true church must be separated and disciplined. It must be a separated and disciplined church. So you know what that says to us is any doctrine that would come to make us comfortable. Comfortable living in our sin. Comfortable living in our compromise is something that we need to be aware of and that we need to understand that it's a strategy of the enemy to bring us into captivity. And so the exhortation is to repent. So now the fourth church is um, Thyatira. You can find this in chapter 2, verse 18. This is the church. Some of you may have heard this. I knew I grew up in a church that I heard this one a lot. It's all about Jezebel. You guys heard about Jezebel? (laughs) It's a scary one. In summary sexual immorality. There was like some, some people suppose it might be the pastor's wife. Oh, duck. Sorry. (laughs) The pastor's wife. (laughs) Sorry, I had to say it. Uh, Or some, I'm not luring anybody into sexual immorality. I'm calling you out of it. (laughs) But, or some prophet that basically was calling and drawing and making it permissible for the people to be in sexual immorality. That, that's kind of the summary. But you know what I, I'm going to be honest with you guys. Growing up, hearing this verse, 
I mean, I read about, I will cast you into the sick bed. And, you know, I read it all and I thought, oh my gosh, that church dies. Like that was my, that was my understanding as a youth, like dead, awful. It's the worst. That's the worst case scenario. I was studying this and I was like, no, it was kind of like, that's not good. You should rebuke that. You should call that out. You need to be delivered from that. But he still gives them hope. He still has like this, like repent, be restored. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) I mean, doesn't Jesus amaze you? He's not like you wretched, disgusting people. Like, why did you let the Jezebel thing in? He's like, hey, there's still time to turn this thing around. That's amazing. I love the fact that he gives us not only the correction, but then the opportunity to change and be restored. So Thyatira is the the Jezebel church. We'll just call it that. (laughs) And then the instruction was given. Well, the correction was that they allowed Jezebel. Um, But then it was the instruction given that they would not tolerate this woman Jezebel. And then then from there that they would hold fast. Um, So then the fifth church is Sardis, which is found in chapter 3. Verse 1. And again, starts the same um, in verse 1. Actually, at the bottom part there, it says, I know your works. That you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. (laughs) So pretty much this church was the church with the best reputation. It was the one that everybody else thought was doing well. Thought was alive. And he's saying, but I know your true condition and you're dead. You know what that says to us as individuals is it really does not matter what anybody else's assessment is of you. How strong you are, how clear you are, how convicting you are. (laughs) I mean, any of those things. Because we can give a presentation of something to other people when that is not the inward reality of our lives. And so what Jesus is saying is, I know you're actually dead. How many of us would just be so honest to say that sometimes we just go about life doing the rituals, doing the disciplines, but we know that on the inside, we are not alive and living. We know that on the inside, we are not fellowshipping with Christ the way that we are called to. And this is where... If we pick up in chapter 3 here, he says that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found ready, oh, sorry, look there. For I have not found you, your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I have come upon you. So it's basically he's giving this warning of saying, I will come upon you suddenly, and you will not know the hour. Does this sound like the Jesus that we know? (laughs) But it's because of his love. And it is because of his mercy that he gives them time to repent. So the sixth church um, is in chapter 3, verse 7. This is the church of Philadelphia. 
And we'll pick up actually in verse 8. It says, For I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door that no one can shut. For you have little strength and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you because you have kept my command to persevere. I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may be able to take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem. <clears throat> so this is, we're in Philadelphia right now. Actually, the word Philadelphia literally means brotherly love. And so if you study some commentators, um, this is actually, the celebration is that they actually did have brotherly love, that there was brotherly love that was found within them. And interestingly enough, this is one of the churches that had no point of correction. So he was not correcting or rebuking, just giving them instruction to hold fast. And then the last church, um, Laodicea. Oh, two minutes. Um, <clears throat> Chapter 3, verse 14. This is probably another one that some of us are very familiar with um, and that is quoted more frequently than the others. Um, so we're in chapter 3, verse 15. I know your works, again he says, that you are neither hot nor cold. I could wish that you were hot or cold. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, you are miserable, you're blind, you're poor, and you're naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed and may not... <clears throat> Sorry, glare. Clothed. Uh, nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eyesalve that you may see. And many, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. So we find that this final church, that he's rebuking their indifference. He's saying, you're neither hot nor cold. And this is one of those churches that their own experiences that they had. So in Laodicea, there was this hot spring that would come out and it actually was salt water. So the hot spring would come out and they were all very aware that you could drink the water hot, you could drink it, or you could chill the water and you could drink it. But if you drank it lukewarm, you'd literally vomit. It would make them vomit. So it was almost like this water could be drunk either hot or it could be drunk cold, but it couldn't be drunk at a lukewarm or else it would invoke vomiting. And so it was known in the city. So they have a very personal experience of, oh yeah, when it comes out hot, that's drinkable. When it's cold, it's even drinkable. But in between, it's going to make me vomit. So he didn't just come out with some kind of random analogy. He's saying, this is an experience that you have and this is what it's like for me. 
He's saying, I, I wish that you were one or the other, that I just could see where you stand, whether it's black or it's white. Either you're for me or you're against me, right? And he's saying that instead you dance this line in between, the line of compromise, of wanting like one foot in and one foot out. And I want to love you, but I want to serve myself. And I want to love you and follow you, but I want it to be convenient and on my terms. This middle ground. And so once again, his correction to them, he's rebuking them and saying, you need to either be hot or cold, but stop playing the middle ground. Do you see with all of these churches, the root issue of love and devotion and wholeheartedness to Christ is supreme. And then in addition to that, he's addressing these issues of idolatry and sexual immorality that have crept in to their communities. And so what does this say to us as Hilltop Church? What this says to us as a community is let us be people that value what Jesus values. All of us in this place today, we have things that we've majored on, that we've made a major deal. Like these are important. These are deal breakers. These are offensive to me. These are things I will not, you know, all of those things of kind of like, that we've made them of supreme importance and likely they're not on Jesus's list, right? But yet, <laughs> the things that are on Jesus's list we're actually comfortable with. They're things we can live with. They're things we can compromise with, things that we can find a comfortable place with. They're not grievous to us. And so I want to encourage us as a community, I want to encourage you, take time with these two chapters. Be, just even to meditate on how Jesus reveals himself in these chapters. But also, let's be a people that it may, it's our prayer that we want to value what Jesus values. And what he values here is first love, that we would return to our first love. What he values here is that we would be rid of idolatry and our allegiances to this world, that we'd be rid of being driven by mammon and money and materialism and the needs of this world, that we'd be free of those things and that we would love him first. That we'd be free of sexual immorality and idolatry, the things that we ultimately we worship and we give our time to, we give our devotion to. That we'd be free from half-hearted, lukewarm religion. And that we would be desirous to be those that are burning, blazing, hot in love with Jesus. I'm going to close us with a time of prayer and then we're going to open up the altar. God, we just thank you for the beauty of your word. We thank you how we see Jesus through the word. God, we just confess to you, Lord, that so oftentimes in this life in America, in, in the church of America, that we have such a different portrayal of Jesus, of who he is, and even our relationship to him. God, we thank you, Father, that as we look at the message that was given to these seven churches, God, we want to be those that take to heart what Jesus says is valuable. As he praised their perseverance, even in the face of persecution, 
is he even praised that although they looked poor, they were really rich. God, we just say, Father, that we live in a culture that so values materialism and success and finance and increase. But God, we confess to you, Father, that oftentimes we neglect what it means to be rich in God. And Lord, we pray, Father, that as a community of people, Lord, that we would sit with your word. That we would even wrestle through your word. God, that we would come to a place of recognition, Lord, that oftentimes, Lord, the things that we value, that we hold dear, Lord, that they are not what you are holding in high regard. And so, God, we ask, Lord, that we would be people that truly treasure what it is that you treasure. God, we pray that we as a community would be those that return to first love, of living lives, of cultivating love for Jesus first, above all else. God, everything that has distracted us from living lives of love and devotion, Lord, every place that we have been fully comfortable in lukewarm lives. God, we thank you for what we see, your message to these churches. Each one of them in the correction, you gave them instruction on how to be restored and you gave them a promise. So God, I thank you, Father, that even in the areas, Lord, that some of us find our lives in compromise, Lord, that we are never beyond hope. But you're a God that loves to save and redeem and restore. And so God, we say, Father, that we want to be a people that when you look upon us, you can find what it is you value. You can find what it is you desire and you treasure. But God, we also ask, Lord, that we would be a people that those things that are an offense to you, those things that grieve you, Lord, that they would not be found in us. So God, we ask that you'd tenderize us, that you'd sensitize us. Give us hearts of flesh that are tender and responsive to you. We're just gonna open up the altar. If anybody needs prayer before you leave here today, oh, Daryl, do you have anything to say, honey? Yeah, quickly, because I know there's probably a lot of kids pulling at their parents' pant legs saying, let's, let's go, let's get out of here. Um, you know, if I go back maybe 10 to 15 years ago when I heard a sermon, and you did a great job, babe, that's a lot to condense <laughs> in such a short time. Um, but I remember, you know, if I was to go back 10, 15 years ago, I would have heard a sermon like this and kind of would have been shocked. Like, what? This doesn't sound like the Jesus I know. Like, and ultimately, being quick, um, that came from just a lack of actually getting into God's word for myself. I, I would ultimately just take a couple of my favorite pastors and public speakers and just take their word for it. And I didn't realize over the years that I was being lied to. <laughs> And ultimately, it was my own fault because I didn't go to the Word myself. I let these guys and gals of whom I love kind of paint Christ or the Christ that I wanted anyways. And when I heard a sermon like this, I would become shocked and just like, this doesn't sound like the Jesus I know. And so I want to say this. 
I want to encourage everyone here, get in the word of God. You may be surprised. Take all the scripture that Bethany presented and, and look at it for yourself. And, and, and just, that might be helpful to kind of take us out of some of that kind of like a deer caught in headlights kind of thing like, whoa, like what is she talking about? And when we actually marry what has been preached to actually what the scriptures say for themselves. So I want to encourage you just in closing, as we're going to open the altar, look at God's word, look at for yourself, the book of revelations, get in there, find the real Christ beyond all the clutter and all the noise, look for yourself and man, God will help you. He'll come alongside of you. So like Bethany said, the altar is open. We don't want to close the service down without praying for those who need prayer. So as we close and Nick just continues to play for those who, who need prayer, for those, um, for anything, it could be related to the sermon. It could be unrelated. Uh, if you need prayer, this altar is open for the rest. Bless you guys. We hope to see you next Sunday. Um, enjoy your Sunday and enjoy the rest of the week. Amen. Amen.